Listener Production. What are the rules of hacking? We've spoken about nefarious hackers wanting to steal your data and even what I do is considered hacking, but I get paid to do it, so it's now considered legal. But where's the line? And what happens when you cross it? What happens when you mix technology and what people perceive to be hacking of computers and systems with physical systems? Like drones are cheap these days. You can go and buy them. People have pools. You can use chemicals from pools to make explosives. What happens if a hacker combined those and attacked something sensitive like a school? What could be done to stop that? Possibly nothing. Because ultimately... Hacking is taking any device or function or system and altering its purpose to your means. We're lucky enough to be able to talk to someone that's lived on both sides, including even behind bars, and someone that has had an influence on my life also. Skeeve Stevens, it's really nice to talk to you. Tell us a bit about your history, where you started, and what inevitably landed you behind bars? Yeah, thank you. Uh, I started probably hacking around 85 when that was like bulletin boards. I used to run bulletin boards and things like that. Uh, did some interesting hacks in the early days where you would do, uh, you know a concept called war dialing? Absolutely. Yeah, so I used to war dial, found some very interesting things when I was like in about 85 or so. Do you want to just cover off for everyone like what war dialing is? Like, I remember, you, you know, you'd basically just trying to find Wi-Fi addresses or even with the phone style thing, you could get the phone to call you back. Lots of fun things yeah. you could do with phone systems. I would say that most of what I did wasn't hacking. It was stumbling around until you go, oh, look. Like the biggest hacks we did at Monash and everything were just using X Windows, pretend X Windows logins and network administrators and very senior people would run along, try and log in. It wouldn't work. We just have it, have it sending us the password, username and password, then really logging out, and then they'd log in and it'd work because they were using a real login. They didn't even realise. Well, I would argue that hacking even today is basically stumbling around. Like you look at API tests, a lot of the time we're yeah. not given endpoints. We're just trying to stumble around until we find something interesting. Once we find something interesting, we try and see what we can accomplish with it, and it's just an effect of curiosity and then actually seeing what you can do. I mean, we had Apple IIs and microbees in 1987 so, at school, so it was fun having access. And I even, I even kind of human-hacked my way into TAFE in the sense that I went down, I tried to enroll. I was only 17, 16 or something, and they're like, you can't enroll this. I went, where does it say I can't? And they were like, <laughs> uh... <laughs> crap. So I've got all these adults in this class and a kid sitting in the corner of me, and they're like, how did you get in here? I went, I applied. Like, how, what? And I'm like, they didn't. I'm, I'm always what you, I mean, what you call a rules lawyer. Tell me what the rules are and I'll figure out a way to break them legally. You know? Exactly. So that extends to everything in our lives, people in our profession. <laughs> so, you know, I buy a car, for example, and I want to get some more horsepower out of it and I end up with a broken car three years later. But the act of tinkering it, the act of making it better, the act of improving or changing its function is intrinsic to my own life. Hmm. I re- want to talk a little bit about you, you have, in, in my opinion, from what I've, I've heard about you and I've read about, you have this intrinsic, like you said, trying to define the rules and if there's a way around those rules, fine. But also generally you've been trying to help people. For example, the, the reason why you went to jail, you were actually trying to show these people that they were 
potentially using things that the way they shouldn't be using and the, ex- the information was accessible very easily and you were trying to demonstrate. Yeah. It, was, it was a weird situation um, because I wasn't, I mean, at the time, but I'm never, I was never really angry about going to jail. It's one of those things where, you know, I remember one thing my mother said a long time ago and I got spanked for something that I didn't do. And she, I said, but what if I, what if you find out I really didn't do it? And she goes, well, but that's all for all the times you did and I didn't get caught. And I was like, oh, I can't follow that logic. So going to jail for this one, I didn't get caught for the hundreds of acts before it. <laughs> so I don't even mind getting parking fines these days because I know that I've done dodgy parking a thousand times and those odds are pretty decent. <laughs> Balancing the karmic tales. Yeah, I did. I was actually in Melbourne. So the, the whole hack thing going to jail was I was in Melbourne on behalf of a, a news organisation recording interviews with freakers and uh, freaking and everything and a bunch of hackers down there. We were looking at uh, things like that. Now, while I was down there, I was staying with uh, a few girls and I was hacking away, doing all, uh, playing around, doing all sorts of things, filming. And then some hackers approached me that I knew because I was more of a grey hat in the world. And they were like, hey, oh, this is things happened. Oh, we've got thousands of credit cards and everything. And, and they're like, this is like a, a gold, gold mine even because it's like not just credit cards. And that was the problem for me. It was credit cards, expiry dates. It was names. It was addresses. It was date of births. It was like not just a credit card. It was everything for identity theft equivalent. And I'd already previously worked for a couple of ISPs and we'd reported something to the federal police and they just went, unless it's over a half a million dollars in something or other, we're not interested in our resources. And I was like, God damn. That's quite an important point there. Like, so you, people have their information there and this is early days in data and information. Really? You've sent the data to the police. You've tried to do the right thing. They've said, you know, bugger off, we don't care. And now you've said, you know what, people are at risk of getting hurt. And then because you're concerned about these people getting essentially yeah. abused and the monies and hard work taken away from yeah. them, You've then gone and contacted 50 journalists with this information. I sent it to everyone because I was at uni and um, I was doing journalism at the time and I was, um, I'd done journalism and psych, but I was back in Sydney teaching journalists about the internet because they're they're just starting to get on. And I knew a lot of journalists and I was writing for Australian Personal Computer, I was writing for PC Magazine, I was writing for heaps of different magazines. And so I sent this email to all of them with the whole credit card list. So that's when it was great because the articles went everywhere. And I think the court document showed that there was like $400,000 of charges done on these cards. And, but the good thing was that the banks having been exposed, because the banks tried to claim damages of hundreds of thousands of dollars to me for them having to reissue cards. And I'm like, excuse bloody me, you wouldn't have even told people and hope they just didn't notice stuff on their, on their statements. So that's the only way. My way was to get the banks to actually cancel everyone's cards. No one would be liable. A little bit of inconvenience why people couldn't use their cards and things like that, but they wouldn't be um, massively affected. And, and I did that. The interesting thing was I got charged with multiple things as unauthorized access. And there was one called unauthorized alteration of data about the web page that was put up with bad spelling and, I think it's, uh, I don't actually recall. I think it said something about Kevin Mitnick or something like that at the time, which I thought was too early. I'm not sure. But I was charged with that, even though I actually didn't do that. That was one of the other hackers who knew that I was, uh, he found out from one of the girls I was talking, that, that, that I was saying with in Melbourne that I was going to take it to the media. And so they went in and page up and hacked the site and did all these things. And 
I actually know who did the proper hack and I told the poly federal police, but they, uh, the kid, the guy had actually disappeared off to New Zealand and they just, they said, listen, unless you've got hard evidence that he, that he did it, then we don't care and you're going for it. So I, unfortunately I got done for a 76 E offense, which is alteration, which is maximum 10 years, even though I only really did unauthorized access. Well, that's a dubious definition these days, uh, which is only two years, but, yeah, so I ended up with 18 months on the bottom and 18 months on top, so a three-year sentence. And, yeah, for doing something right but in a wrong way. I had uh, the, one of the barristers that I was talking to at the time said, Skip, this is what you've done. You've looked over your neighbour's fence, you've seen in his window, and he's watching child porn or something. He goes out, you break into his house, you grab the tapes and you take him down to the police station. The police go, thank you very much, and arrest you for breaking into as well. Mm. I was like... Uh, you can't commit an offence to do that. What would the police have recommended the actions you should have taken? Oh, at the time, the, the police didn't... Hey, police today barely know what the internet is, much less <laughs> 25 years ago. Okay, the, one of the reasons I think I went... Because actually the prosecutor, prosecuting barrister and my barrister um, were actually both good guys. I, I even know the prosecutor now. They put me in jail, which is kind of funny. Everybody looked very confused when the magistrate went, everybody, can everybody stop for a minute? Can somebody please tell me what this thing called the internet is? And we all just looked, I'm in the dock, they're there, prosecutor and, and, and defence barrister. We all just kind of looked at each other and we all knew I was effed. Um, I mean, they don't even know what it is. The, the only, because you know what common law is, common law is based on previous judgments. The only common law they used for me was a guy who worked at a wood milling place who deleted some data. So that was the precedence. That was the precedence. So my case, actually, not only am I the first guy, all the law books, the precedence, and all the law that's come after that is based on what, because I was now a thing that they could point to because there was no real hacking Ski versus state, you lost, obviously, and who knows how many uh, young fighting yeah. hackers have now gone to jail. Because of the yeah. Precedence. Well, the thing is, I only I'm only the first by default because Melbourne, uh, Victoria, there was like half a dozen hack, uh, half a dozen arrests, but they have Victoria. I'm not sure what these these days, but at the time they had something called suspended sentencing. Hmm. So people were sentenced for a year or whatever, but suspended based on good behaviour. New South Wales didn't have suspended sentencing, ah. so it was do not collect anything, go straight to jail type of thing, and there was no, there's nothing. Because they, they were going to ask for an ankle, uh, what do you call it, a home detention for me. But the magistrate just, she didn't understand. She didn't care. I did not know that. So I'm actually very lucky then. I've had a suspended sentence myself. Yeah, but so that was in, that. That was in Tasmania. So had I been in New South Wales, which is basically where I grew up, things yep. may have changed a little for the worse for me, I guess. So You would have actually gone to jail because we don't have suspended sentences here. Thank you, Tasmania. Let's jump around a bit. So you mentioned that, you know, back in the day, things like freaking the phone systems, they were just so open. I yeah. find now, let's look into the future. Some one of your passions is future crime, future cybercrime, future technologies. Me personally, based on the organizations that pay us to look at whatever they're asking us to test, I find just as concerning holes in modern technology, and particularly it's moving so quickly these days. A great example. Uh, an organization recently paid us for an app that basically transact over a billion dollars a year. 
And we were able to found a backdoor into it that essentially enabled us to take control of the applications, redirect funds wherever we needed to go. And those doors still exist. So, you know, it's great that these developers are creating all these new platforms and the speed of technology is fantastic and it's generally improving our life kind of. Although if you watch the new movie Social Dilemma, maybe not. What's the answer to this? Like we try to tell people to bake security in from the start. We tell them to put processes in. But how do we have all this amazing growth without enabling the next you know guy to take control of everything okay so there's a i've got some problems with this because i i I speak at conferences about all this sort of thing and my 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 biggest problem with cybersecurity is that for the most part it's bullshit in that today if you've you've got your computer mac pc you can go and choose whatever cyber uh, software you want to install on it to try and protect yourself right Mm mm-hmm so, but if you've got a cochlear implant or a pacemaker or a Tesla, do you get to choose the cybersecurity software that's defending the device? I mean, we've there's already been demonstrations of pacemakers being breached. Yeah, I've already done it. I've, I've done it. I've already done it myself. Um, it's funny because someone said to me, "How did you learn how to hack a pacemaker?" I went, "Go to eBay, type pacemaker, and buy one. They're two hundred bucks or something. They weren't hard to figure out. Very simple commands." And so, and my logic, my logic went. Well, I doubt the um, doctors are going to cut you open to do any changes, so it's going to have to be controlled by radio frequency to do this stuff. And I thought, let's figure Yeah, so, I mean, I killed someone three or four times by literally, can I do this, make this pacemaker stop? Oh, yeah, I did. Oh, well, they'd be dead. We figured out how to, the, the, the most scariest way is when you, when you can get people to kill themselves. So we figured out how to remotely hack a, um, an insulin injector, which I could just make the settings say blah, and they would just keep pushing the button and then just overdose. So to me, that's just, it's just technology. Now, going back to what I was saying is that people who make stuff like Tesla make beautiful cars. Why does anyone on the planet think they're capable of cybersecurity? Why does anyone, that these people that make pacemakers are the most amazing medical engineering. Who thinks they're really awesome about cybersecurity or RF security? They're not. So the problem is, is that these people are, making amazing devices with their idea of security. And that's, there's no security companies involved. I would like to see law that anyone who made a product with some sort of connectivity had to engage a professional security company. So it could be Tesla where, and when you boot it, it comes up and says the Norton, blah, 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 or be able to like these days you can, with your cars, you can get Apple, Apple CarPlay or Android Auto and you should be able to install your own software to do that. But how many vendors of hardware, IoT, and all these things can you go and get your own security software for? Nothing. But yet we've got stupid things. So, so one of the biggest risks in the world uh, at the moment is IoT, in my opinion. The weaponization of IoT is absolutely, utterly terrifying. The problem is, is that, and I, I actually blame Cisco um, at the moment for being too awesome. Because Cisco make really, really good stuff. The problem is Cisco stuff is really, really expensive generally. So you've got farmers that want some IoT devices, a humidity sensor or this and that, and they see a presentation. Oh, Cisco's got these new combine harvesters. They're pairing these new uh, um, John Deere combine harvesters. They're working with them. Now, normal farmers are going to see that, and some of them are going to go, oh, great, I'll spend stupid money. But what a lot will do, we'll go, cool, Alibaba, I'm going to buy the $3 one with no security. So Cisco by its awesomeness and innovation is going to inspire people to want to have the same tech and automation 
but they're going to buy junk. And that's going to leave our critical infrastructure, our food supply, our farms, our all these irrigations, all these things absolutely weak as they'll do their functionality just fine, temperature sensor this, blah, 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 that, but they'll have no measure of security whatsoever. Cisco's fault in this is absolute critical proprietary things, like even routing protocols and other things, they do not share. And, and that's the problem is they're awesome and don't share. Tell me someone who's got cybersecurity skills that A is even decent at that, there's not many of those, who has B, IoT, embedded hardware understanding, that's very rare as it is, and C, understands agriculture. Because you don't want no nerd playing with your farm. You want someone who has a who has an understanding of agriculture, um, whether or, or, or fisheries, because they're starting to use those devices in oysters and all these, all these, all these areas, um, whether it be in mining, you need someone who is a miner, who knows cybersecurity, who knows embedded things. Tell me where, and that's, so you could extrapolate that out to medical. I need someone who is a pseudo doctor who's cybersecurity and I'd to make sure that these devices are safe. I would actually debate that some people in the cybersecurity industry would actually find it fascinating. For example, you know, we do have some agricultural clients and I find it fascinating how they monitor, you know, humidity and how they affect their crops and even some of the little bags that they put sowing into the soil. So when it rains, it essentially swells up and then it redistributes the moisture so it can deal through droughts. It's fascinating stuff. So we've identified there's a problem, right? And we've identified that this may self, this may self-recomply itself in sort of seven to ten years. You talk about future tech, you talk about future crimes. What can we do right now? I actually don't. Ah. So while I am a futurist, I'm, I never do futurist talks. I never do future tech talks. Why? The problem is, is that most people are living in about 2015's understanding of technology. There is so much tech that is here today from EEG. So we talk, we do presentations to the military about thought triggers of, 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 of terrorist triggers by using um, like different headsets and things like that. You can just go and buy for $400 and you think the right thought and it will trigger an event. Um, these are all tech, you know, brain computer interfaces. This is now here. Just no one knows about it. So it's not future tech. I spend most of my time talking about today. The people don't even understand today, much less worry about tomorrow. I mean, there's some amazing things coming out at the moment. I mean, and not only just amazing things like you're saying that are coming out today or tomorrow, but the ability for everyone to do that. My favorite, sorry, my favorite example is the emotive, emotive, E-M-O-T-I-V. They've got a headset. 10 years ago, there's a video on YouTube. Yeah, and they were controlling ago, the uh, RC yeah. cars and stuff. Yeah. Driving a car by thought 10 years ago. Well, and you're like, ouch, because that's a part of the Australian company. So if you just imagine how much progress they've made in 10 years of what you can do by thought, Elon Musk's new cerebral implant thing, like, yeah, sure, that's interesting. But we can already do lots of things. And people go, oh, self-driving cars. I'm like, and? Because that video of the guy driving the car is irrelevant because he's not driving the car. He's driving the laptop. The mm. laptop could be connected to a space shuttle or jet fighter. It doesn't really matter what it's connected to. That's just what that laptop is outputting to. So when you think about it, it could be thought controlled train. doesn't matter what it is. This is 10-year-old technology, and this is what people like the military and others don't even comprehend, that you can just go online for 300 bucks and order one of those headsets now. 
Well, the coolest thing is there's enough information on YouTube or anywhere you look that you can actually go and learn these things right now. Yeah. And some of the projects, the DIY projects that are people are doing, are incredible. There's there's a guy in Canada and he's made his own MRI machine. That's it's incredible. So that's what I'm saying. I talk about now that people don't even know how to use as opposed to worry about what's coming next year. Because if you can't think about today and even comprehend, catch up on the last couple of years of what is possible, what you said before, I, I disagree with a little bit. Like you want to work with partners who might understand mining or pipeline. It doesn't work because it's like doing a double degree at the moment. It's useless. I can do a cyber security, a cyber computer science degree and a law degree. That's not it's the law of, of uh, the, the law of cyber or, or vice versa. That requires you to assemble both streams of technology and you to attempt to innovate. I actually agree with you, but I think that that is intrinsic to what makes a good cybersecurity professional, knowing a bit about everything. And you yes. immerse yourself in that world. And I mean, if you go and talk to our staff, that's what we're doing. But I still think it's important because like you're saying, you know, you, you'll have a 10% understanding, but it's still important to go and collaborate, in my opinion, with experts in the field because they've done it all their lives. They, well, yeah. Whilst you can innovate and you can come up with ideas and you can like you're saying, you know, you used to know the rules and you like to know the rules and I'm, I'm exactly the same. You tell me a set of rules that looks ironclad to a lawyer, I'll imaginate my way around it and I love doing that and I love making them rewrite 40-page contracts which were originally two-page contracts because I keep throwing a, a bone in there and it, it does the head in. If you want to protect humans from what you called before human hacking, you need a psychologist. You need to understand where the weak points are of humanity. And I've had a great time learning all about this, the habits and what humans will say yes to and no to and, and how to manipulate that in your flavor. And that's really fun um, breaking people. But cybersecurity is a fairly holistic problem and it's a very pretty complex problem that you've got to be working on people. I, the cyber guy is not a firewall guy. There's one key statement I make though, and I think companies need to reorganize. There's a very big difference between IT and technology. But they can't, IT guys should not really be thinking about Cybersecurity, other Technology. than yeah, exactly. They shouldn't. IT people shouldn't think about tech. So the CTO of a company should not be in charge of IT. The CTO of a company should be going. How does we as a company, bank, whatever it is, interact with technology from security mechanisms to our devices as people? How do we interact and embrace technology? Then you get the IT guy to build the infrastructure that it runs on. They're not the same people. Right, the, the the CTO should be someone who does understand psychology, people, how people like the whole BYO, you know, junk revolution of like letting people buy anything they want. It was just a stupid thing, but I I, get, I know why it happened, and, it was, and I'm and I understand that. But the problem is that organisations assume that IT knows technology, and they don't. You take your average Alexa down to your average support department and go, "Can you help me with my light bulb or my Alexa?" And they're going to look at you going, "Um, what?" One of the favorite, one of my favorite things to say when I go and talk to a board and they bring their IT guys in is exactly this. Look, your IT guys since, you know, 19, say 98, 2000 have now been asked to not only look after people's computers, but the sprinkler system, the HVAC systems, the phone exactly. systems, and they're just so overworked that how are you going to ask them to bolt on cybersecurity as a thing? They don't have the skills. They don't understand it. They don't understand the physical, the social. It might be the most secured network in the world and kudos for them for building it. But one human who is trained or manipulated to use it falsely gives me complete access to it. All right, we've, we've talked heaps about the problem. Tell me what is your biggest fear over the next five years? 12-year-olds with $10 of pocket money going down to Bunnings, buying a little you know, like remote control PowerPoint and boom. So I, I'm often quoted in the last year or so saying, I believe we'll have a school massacre in, the ne in, in Australia in the next 
12 to 24 months, but it won't be with guns. It'll be some pissed off 12 year old with a bunch of uh, PowerPoints that, you know, he goes, those bullies or that stupid teacher leaves, waits for an event, a triggered event. If this, then that, you know, if I get a D then boom type of thing. The, the thing is, is you can automate uttered, like previous, previous things you need big crime gang. They're selling lots of drugs. You need protection people. You need logistics people. Um, militaries need logistics people, everything, protection forces, security companies. Now it's a 12 year old with a little bit of money and that's all he needs with an if this, then that script of if I look at my camera and I smile, or if I put the, if I put the, um, the emotive epoch headset on and I smile and I, and I, and I think happy thoughts then blow the world up and people don't understand. They're going, what do you mean? I'm going, well, this is just a PowerPoint. And I'm like, yeah, what can you plug in? To so your biggest fear is ease of malicious actions, yeah. which can so there's cause. There's two levels. So if you go down to Bunnings anywhere in Australia at the moment and New Zealand, right at the front of it, massive home automation display. And if you just sit there and just look at it and go, oh my. I mean, there are power boards with all four points being individually triggerable. The next level of danger is Vic Markets, Paddy's Markets, having whole stalls full of all sensors and IoT stuff and you being able to wander down and going, oh, cool, go, I'm going to get some infrared sensors. Like right now, so this is why we talk to police because for $20, $30, I could put a some an electrical device under a carpet and if I'm not home, if the contact sensor goes, the movement sensor goes, if the pressure sensor goes, then kill whoever walks through that door. I want to put some context around this, Steve. So I've sat in meetings and I've advised councils, for example, um, that they need to go and put these systems in and it'll save them time. We need to secure it. And then someone always in the room says, oh, you know what? I've seen this same tech down at, like you said, the Bunnings or the markets for $15 and the ones that we're recommending are $300 per sensor. And inevitably, councils will, some of them will go to save budget and put the cheaper ones in. That completely opens up the, that particular... Oh, that's what they should do. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it completely screws it. No, no. That's what they should do, though. All right. Okay. I'm listening. Because there's a perspective that most people don't understand in that the expensive one, the proprietary ones... Uh, good and safe. Yeah. People go, Oh, but the cheap ones are insecure. Uh, maybe, but the cheap ones like Sonoffs and all the others allow you to upload your own versions of firmware, which means if you're rolling out millions of dollars worth of things, it's going to pay to get a couple of coders on board that can run up your own version of firmware, giving they give you the source code and take any vulnerabilities out, customize it, overlay it. And it's yours. Sadly, that, that's just that not happening. stuff allows you to, utterly tailor things beyond anything that their high-level, high-end commercial stuff would do. What's actually happening is they're just throwing it in as is. Now, I heard a rumor that you once stopped a space shuttle launch. <laughs> I didn't have anything to do with the space shuttle. Um, <laughs> what we did is when a space shuttle takes off, it goes to space, and for it to take off, there's a bunch of protocols, and one of them is, is if you know anything about space shuttles and spacecraft, when it comes back towards the, uh, Earth, if it doesn't enter at the right um, angle, it literally, literally can bounce, bounce off, off yeah, right? or come crashing so, down too quickly. Yeah, so with the, the air, margins of error of, of, the, of the approaches that they can have, they have, like in the US, they have about, I think it's last count, I think it was like seven different air bases, depending on the approaches they might get stuck. They don't always go where they need to. And one of the, and they have all these different air bases. I might've, there might've been a rumor that um, we were playing around in somewhere and took out all the landing things at an airbase somewhere many decades ago. So actually the US does have. Statute have, of limitations. Yeah, statute of limitations. So um, maybe, maybe they won't. But 
Yeah, so we, we was just screwing around and you know, what are all these light settings? What are all these different things? Like you think you're turning off on and off lights and you're playing around and it didn't take too many hours till someone realised that they'd been hacked and because the airbase had been hacked and it was no longer a viable place to land a space shuttle in an emergency, they delayed it, the launch of it a day. Well, I imagine the lights you're turning on is, is what guides the shuttle in, whether they're high or low. I can't well, remember the name of the yeah, Exactly, right? So because we'd actually taken like, they'd taken out their computers and were playing around with going, what are these lights? Oh, this says it's on. This says the lights off. This says the lights on. Hmm, I wonder what it actually does. It was only it was only afterwards we found out that we, you know, due to a compromised landing location, the, the shuttle was like gonna be delayed, uh, like a launch, and we were like, oh. Um Meanwhile, a C-130 pilot's freaking out because he can't tell whether he's high or low and he's done the third go-round. But thank you so much for coming on the podcast, Steve. I could talk to you for days and days. I would love to talk to you more offline about some of the uh, things that you can't talk about. I really appreciate you coming on to the podcast today. Thank you so much. Fortunately, you're locked in your little little space down in Victoria at the moment. Uh, Soon. Soon we'll be out. Maybe. Maybe not. (laughs) Thank you so much, Steve. Appreciate it. No problem, mate. Hacking is real. People and organisations are being taken down every day. If you'd like some professional advice and assistance, go online to ctrlgroup.com.au and we'll help you. Listener.